Philippians 1, we saw that the Apostle Paul was writing from a jail cell. Wasn't really sure what was going to happen. He knew what he wanted was to continue to work and come alongside the believers in Philippi. But he wasn't really sure what was going to happen. And so in Philippians 1.27, he says this, Whatever happens, whatever happens to me, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. And we focus on verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that word conduct, we saw really focused, it's where we get the word politics, political. He's talking about being citizens, citizens of heaven, right? We saw in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And so kind of if you weren't here last Sunday, what he was saying was, hey, you citizens of heaven, let your conduct be in balance with match your creed. Right? Remember that this was a Roman colony and that the citizens were sold out to being Romans. Roman law, Roman customs, Roman dress, Roman language. You walked into this city, you would thought you were in little Rome. And he says, and he taps into that with the believers. He says, hey, believers, you're kind of on a colony. This isn't your home, this planet. And while you're here as citizens of heaven, conduct yourselves in such a way that your conduct balances, right, manner worthy with scale, a scale, balancing scale, that your conduct matches your creed, that your conduct is in balance with the character of Christ, so that when people come to church, even, on a Sunday morning, they walk in and they go, oh, I thought this was just an organization. I thought this was just a, 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 you know, a building. No. The church, ultimately, not just the redeemed, but today, the church is really, if you saw it last week, it's a gathering of the citizens of heaven. Think about that. Think about that. We gather, and then we disperse, you know, and we come, maybe you come once or twice during the week for something, or you meet again in a smaller gathering at Tony's house. But today, we collectively gather here as body called to this particular, you know, Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, but how many of you saw yourself as you walked in, as you parked, that you were parking next to a citizen of heaven? How many of you even thought that you you were worshiping with a, a fellow citizen of heaven this morning? You're sitting next to, in front of, behind, a citizen of heaven. Paradigm shift paradigm shift because with that comes not just wonderful privileges right your name is written in heaven we saw that right all the eternal truths i'll never leave you nor forsake you all of that we get incredible privileges as citizens of heaven just like the roman colonists did in philippi right all the privileges of rome were right there but also comes great responsibility so as citizens of heaven we gather we celebrate fellowship. We, we celebrate many of the privileges we speak about here every week. But we've been learning as the church, as citizens of heaven, as members of the church, we also have great responsibility. Great responsibility. Not to this organization necessarily. Great responsibility to the big K, kingdom, to the big C, church. Right? And, 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 I, and I love where we are because I think in many ways... We're all being challenged with, wow, oh yeah, that's right, I forgot. I was there last Sunday, but I forgot this morning. I'm just meeting, this the citizens gathering, the citizens of heaven. In fact, that's where the church, the word church comes from, ecclesia. And it's not even a churchy word. The word ecclesia really was sort of a secular word, if you want to call it that. What happened was in these cities, in these little towns, Whenever they needed to discuss town business, they would ring the bell or a herald would go out 
and call all the citizens to gather in the town. That was ecclesia, a gathering of the citizens to conduct business. That's where we get the word church. Is a gathering. It's a gathering. Now you realize, oh wait, it's a gathering of citizens. Citizens of heaven. That should kind of change things already. It should change how you not just view this place, but how you, how you view you. How you view you. A lot of us in our Christian faith, we're, we're kind of stuck because we haven't yet come to the place of accepting and appropriating what God says is already true about you. We're still, we still see ourselves through ourselves. We, see, we still see ourselves through that person when you were a kid. That voice. Usually not positive. Many of us as adults, even you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you still haven't come to the place of just accepting and celebrating who you are in Christ. It's not that you don't love Jesus, but a lot of your, uh, 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 I don't know about that, uh, 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 isn't necessarily that you don't understand what you're supposed to be doing or not doing, etc., etc. It's mostly because you haven't just gone, yes! Some of us just need to have a yes moment and go, yes, I'm a citizen of heaven. There you go, right? Because you're still trying to figure out, many of us, you're still trying to figure out if you really made the team. Right? It, I, I told you before in that, that verse in Luke where it says, Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He was referring to a town register where people, all the citizens of heaven would be registered. I think some of us, even though you put your faith in Jesus, you're kind of scared to go see if your name's really in the book. You're a little bit nervous. You know, oh, go check the book. Hey, can you check if my name's there? Right? Anyone ever, when I was growing up, we still had tryouts for different things, and then the coach or whatever would post the list. You ever met, anyone ever have that anxiety? Go check the list if you made the team. <sighs> right? Either you try to get there before everyone, because it's bad news. <laughs> Or you send a friend. Anyone ever have a friend tell you? You're like, really? I didn't want to know, right? They just say, hey, you, you right? Some of us just need to settle the issue. You are who you are in Christ because God says it. Amen? Remember that bumper sticker uh, a while ago? It said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And remember a bumper sticker like that, right? God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I, I kind of get it, but I've always struggled with with the I believe it part. It really should just say, God said it, that settles it. But see, we, we put this I believe it part in there. No, God said it. It's that settles it. Receive it. Accept it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. We talked to the worship team a couple weeks ago. And I asked the worship team, how many of you enjoy God? Enjoy God. In your presence is fullness of joy. When was the last time? How many of you enjoy God? Think about that. You enjoy USC football. Carl. Marvin, if you're listening, Marvin, God bless you. I know you were celebrating a triple C, right? What do you enjoy? Think about it. What do you enjoy? Right? Game night. Tri-tip. Right? Think of that hobby you enjoy. Your car, whatever. Your spouse, your kids. You enjoy, right? You get this innate sense of joy. Just, hmm. Your pet. How many of you have enjoy your pet? Right? Come on. How many of you? You just see your pet. And you come home, and your pet's just glad to see you. Anyone? And you're just glad to see that pet. And you just want to hug your pet. And you just say, come here, come here, right? How many of you have ever had that with Jesus? Come here, Jesus. Come here, come here Jesus. 
Where did that go? Fine. Of heaven. Right? Right? And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, as a citizen of heaven, just be a citizen of heaven. Let your conduct match your creed. Just go be that. You know why? So that the people at your workplace, your neighbors, your schoolmates, your, your, your teammates can see what a citizen of heaven is about. Amen? Because they're watching you. If you profess to be a Christian, be careful. Because you're wearing citizen of heaven. And the most powerful testimony is not what comes out of here. The most powerful testimony about what it means to be a citizen of heaven comes from your hands and how you conduct yourself and how you live. Right? So we saw that Paul says, hey, church, hey, church, just be citizens of heaven. As much as you're committed to being a a colony of Rome and Roman citizens and living as Romans, now I want you to live as citizens of heaven. Right? So we hear that last week and we're like, oh, man, I get that. I love that. But that's kind of tough, isn't it? How do you do that? Because on Sunday mornings when we, when we gather as citizens of heaven and we, we sing songs of heaven and we get open the book from heaven, right? This is a safe environment, which it should be. This is a wonderful place, which it should be. Intentionally is. But when we leave here, ooh, the world's not so nice. And people are not so nice. So how do we, how do we work this out? How do we... How do we take this desire to be citizens of heaven out into, quite frankly, a hostile world where we sort of feel like colonists? We sort of feel like, as First Peter says, aliens and strangers, especially with where the culture is going, right? Used to be before that being a Christian was very cultural. Still is kind of in the South, right? Now, especially in Southern California, or just California as a whole? You know, people look at you as a Christian, as an alien and stranger. We even saw in, 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 uh, in 1 Peter 4, 4, they think it's strange that you don't do what they do. And they heap abuse on you. Just for being godly. Isn't that crazy? Just for, just for being honest and telling the truth. You get abused. You get people, oh, really? Why'd you, why'd you tell? Right? And, and, and now, just wanting to honor God and do what's right and holy and godly, man, you're an alien, you're a stranger. You drag through it. So how do we do this? And I was thinking through, Lord, is there an example? Give me, Lord, where, where's an example that we can draw from? And I thought of Daniel. So turn to Daniel. The Old Testament, right? Book of Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. All right. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 1. It's 605 B.C. Right? And King Nebuchadnezzar has come, the king of Babylon, has come to Jerusalem. He's besieged it, and ultimately he's going to defeat Jerusalem. And in 605 B.C., what happens is they capture some of the residents, the Jews, and they take them back to Babylon. There were two waves of deportation, and 605 was the first one. 597 was the second one. But this is 605. King Nebuchadnezzar comes, surrounds Jerusalem, defeats it, takes some young men back to Babylon. Back to Babylon. Okay? So Daniel 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, 
chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Okay, these are the guys that were deported. These are the captives that were brought from Jerusalem, Babylon. Young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Okay? So, they're brought. He says, hey, bring me the cream of the cop, the cream of the crop. Right? So they bring in this group of young men, cream of the crop. With a specific plan, in three years, you're going to be now serving the king, king of Babylon. You're going to be in the king's service. So they go on this sort of MBA training program, right? Includes learning their literature, their language, right? In verse 6, it says, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So they bring these, these captives. They change their names. It's very interesting because their original names were related to the God of Israel. Now they change their names, and these new names are related to the pagan gods. So they change their names. And then they say, hey, now for three years, you're going to learn our language and literature. You're going to be educated in our system. With the goal that in three years, you're going to be able to run this place. You're going to serve in the king's palace. Right? That's the plan. That's the plan. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Okay? You're comfortable writing in your Bibles. That key, key phrase in this whole passage. But Daniel resolved. He resolved. He made up his mind, in other words. Some versions say made up his mind. Some other uh, people say he fixed. He had a fixed decision. He made a decision. He resolved something. He resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now think about it. Three major things happened. They changed their names. They're going to educate them into this pagan value system, language, literature. And then it says, right, the king, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Three things. We're changing your name. We're going to educate you in our system. And you're going to eat from the king's table, which is really kind of a privilege. Out of those three, Daniel says, I got a problem with one of those. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Something about that, something about that touched Daniel at the heart, at the heart. See, and, and, and here's what, what many believe it was. The fact that they renamed them, well, not much you can do about someone calling you a name, right? Not much Daniel could do about that. The education system, well, it's just learning the education, the system of this culture, right? These, these were young men. These were men of nobility. They were already educated. They, have the, they had the foundation of their upbringing, of their Jewish heritage. They understood. They already were learned. So in the sense of education system, you know, you know, when we were raising our kids, all of our kids, they're, they're pastor kids, right? They went through all these children's programs. And at a certain rote, and, and every parent makes this decision, we decided we wanted, we wanted them to go to Nordoff. Now, I understand some parents choose not to, and that's fine. No, no good or bad, but I'm just saying part of our, our, our decision, Nadine and I, for our kids was to intentionally let them go through Nordoff. To be refined, to grow in their faith, to be challenged with what they had been raised with. 
to not be afraid. And it wasn't easy. And they went through peer pressure and they heard things in classrooms. And, you know, we had all these things. But we wanted our kids to, to have a chance, even through the high school years, to flesh out what they believed. Just not to be afraid. Right? So, so changing the names, okay, call me. I know my name. I know what my parents called me, so you can call me what you want. Right? I have this foundational upbringing, so I could learn about your history. I can learn about your culture. I'm not going to freak you out. Right? But this eating thing, I got a real problem with that. Now, there's three reasons that, that, that most commentators believe that there was, there was some, some major issues. One, the food that was being served probably wasn't kosher, prepared in the right way. So there's that issue of, of what they could and couldn't eat that way. Right? The other thing was that there was a pretty high probability that the food was probably part of a sacrificial system to, to the pagan gods. And that was a problem, right? But this, and this is very important. The third one is, is really, I believe, what, what challenged Daniel, what challenges us. To eat meant in many ways to agree with and come alongside the values of the culture. You see, God's dietary laws weren't just do this, don't do this, do this. It wasn't just these strict external behaviors. God's dietary laws were designed for separation. There was the underlying core of his dietary laws was that his people would be separate, holy, set apart. And so Daniel's like, I don't know, to, to, to eat this, I know it's probably not prepared right, I know it's probably a part of a pagan ritual, but man, if I, if I partake in this, I'm kind of partaking in their lifestyle. I'm really saying I'm good with this. Knowing that God's dietary laws were, were supposed to be set apart. His, we're his chosen people. And, and that's where Daniel drew the line. That, no, I, 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 can't, I can't cross that. I can't compromise this. I can't compromise this. And for us, in 2017, where, where the culture is, many of us, many of you may be in situations in wherever, your work or wherever, that you're feeling like Daniel. You're conflicted. Because you're like, oh, man. Okay, yeah, call me a goody-two-shoe Christian. Call me this. Yeah, I can learn about this. That's fine. I'm in college history, and my professor is, you know, an atheist, an anti-Christian. Okay, I could deal with him. Just give me the grade, and I'll be done. Right? I could deal with that. But deep down, there might be another area where like, oh, man, Lord, I'm really feeling like this one. You call me to be holy as you are holy. You call me to be set apart. And Lord, this, this one's really, oh, man, I'm feeling, a, I'm feeling a conviction that I can't go there. I can't go there necessarily. I shared with you before uh, the decision I had to make when my older brother got married. I love my brother. He's a good guy. And his friends, I grew up with his friends. They are good guys. I, I, I enjoyed them. I loved them. But when my brother got married, I was asked to be the best man. And what do best men do traditionally for the groom? Plan the bachelor party. And I'm a new believer just a couple years into this. And I get, talk about a zinger. Talk about hitting home. Talk about rubber meeting the road right off the bat and having to make a decision that where you stand with this whole Christian thing. And I'm just conflicted. I mean, I enjoy their company. I, I, I fine. And I'm like, Lord, what do I do with this? I'm searching scripture. I'm Daniel? <laughs> oh, man. And finally, you know, I, I shared with you before, I just, I, I had to write my brother a letter. And I said, dude, I love you, and I'm so happy for you. But I can't plan your bachelor party, and, and I can't even go. 
conviction. I can't, I can't participate in that. Not that it was going to be wild and crazy. I didn't even know what they were going to do. But I just knew that God had put on my heart, you can't go there. Just don't go there. Right? And, and so that comes and goes, right? I never asked. He never brought it up. Wasn't even sure he read the letter or what he said to his friends who were good friends of mine who saw me as their little brother until the day of the wedding. And in this tradition, we met at the photographer's house and they were taking pictures before the wedding. And so we're all there and all the groomsmen show up and I'm feeling like odd man out because this is the first time we're all together. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And I just, you ever been in a situation where you just feel so out of it that you just sort of stay physically distant? Like, you don't know if you're part of the group, and you just kind of like, right? You just never want to like, you know, because no one wants to get hurt. No one wants to get shut down. And so I'm hovering. I call it, I was just hovering, right? Until uh, my brother's best friend, one of my best friends, uh, came up to me in the privacy he caught me, and we were, we were off somewhere, and, and he put his arm around me. He said, hey, man, your brother told me why you did what you did. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, here it comes. Got me in the headlock already. Right? So he said, your brother told me uh, why you did what you did. And I just want you to know, I respect you. So I get it. I get it. This was 20-some years ago. It was a hard call. But a call had to be made. A call had to be made. And Daniel, in the same way, he has to make a call. Now, if we look forward in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6, I believe, remember the king makes an edict. You can't, when, the, when they sound the horn, everyone has to bow. And then later on, you're not allowed to pray. So here's, here's, a, here's a little bit of a distinction between this and those other two episodes. In those other two episodes, it was do this or else. And Daniel drew a hard line. I can't bow down, and I'm not going to stop praying. Right? What's interesting about this, and what I want to I encourage you and, 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 and help you with, in this particular instance, Daniel, with God's wisdom, found, out of, found another way. He had wisdom. To honor God and make it work. It wasn't just the hardcore. He said, hey, and look at his plan. Look at his plan. Verse 9. Now God, remember, this is God. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. This is not a Daniel diet. Don't, take, don't, don't, don't go write a book on the Daniel diet. The point of this is that Daniel was like, Lord, I can't do this. But the distinction between this and later in Daniel is that God gave him wisdom in how to work it. To glorify God, to be true to his convictions, and yet work within what was being asked in the big picture. To be healthy. Right? And sometimes in your life and in my life, this is where we need each other. Because you're stuck and you have a conviction. And you're like, what do I do? How do I work this out? Maybe it's a situation with your boss, and you're like, I can't do that. But I don't want to lose my job. 
What do you do in that situation? Ask for help from him and from here. Amen? See, there's great wisdom. There are people, that's why the church is the church. They want to come alongside you, not just pray for you, but give you godly wisdom, godly, give you godly encouragement, help you formulate a plan so that you're not alone. So that you're not alone. Right? Because, yeah, some situations in our life and where culture is getting, yeah, that's a no-brainer. I can't do that. Come what may. I've decided to follow Jesus. Boom. State-driven. Other situations, same degree of conviction, but Lord, help me work this out with wisdom. Say what I don't need to say. Help me to make wise choices as I maneuver through this as a citizen of heaven. As a citizen of heaven, okay? Has nothing to do with, oh, you know, compromise. No, you can be, you can have firm conviction. But sometimes God may open up a, a path to walk you through it in a way that glorifies Him. In a way that, oh, okay, wow, wow, God, I didn't see that. I didn't see that opening. I didn't see that avenue, right? What does Corinthians say? No temptation has seized you except such as common to man. But God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will always what? Provide a way out. He'll provide a way out. And sometimes it's by asking people for help. Just flat out coming to a brother or sister in the Lord and saying, you know what? This is what's going on. I know what the Bible says. I know what my conviction is. I want to honor God. What do I do? What a great starting point to humble yourself and say, what do I do? How do I, how do I, you know, that poem, that song, Dare to Be a Daniel. How do I walk through this? How do I walk through this right now? And so Daniel, he resolved. He was an issue of the heart. He resolved. He purposed. And this is, I want to help you as you move forward. If you're dealing with this, if you're working through something at work or in your own life, this idea of, okay, so what do I do? How do I, how do I follow Daniel's example? You've got you to gotta make this resolution. You've you got to come to your heart. Start at your heart and say, Lord, I am resolved. I have resolved this. I have purpose. I have purpose. If you turn to, let's look at this in application. Turn to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want to give you a a word of encouragement that may change the, the Daniel story if you didn't know this about it. Many pe- people believe that Daniel and his three friends were teenagers. About 14 or 15. Young men from the royal family, nobility. Many believe they were simply teenagers. See, that's what I love about walking with Jesus. It's not like, oh, wait, you're just in youth group. When you graduate from high school, then you can be something for God. You know? No. 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 Daniel, they say, most people believe he was about 15. A 15-year-old has this conviction and acts on it. Isn't that awesome? Right? When I first started reading Daniel, I thought it was old. Like 30, 40, right? Isn't that weird? How many of you have gotten older? Your perception of what is old changes, has changed radically, right? How many, like, 40 is just a kid? <laughs> All the over 40s are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever gotten to this point? Just, I don't know where this is coming from, but you ever got to that age when you were old enough to like, hey, this is what I used to think my parents when they were like 40s or 50s. And you got to be like 20. And now you're 40 or 50 and like, I'm my parents. And my kids are seeing me like I used to see my parents. You ever get to that weird stage in life? And you're like, oh my gosh. Right? 
Anyway, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel is 15, 15, a young man who makes this resolution. That's awesome. I love that. So teenagers, right now, at Matillaha, at Nordoff, homeschool, wherever you are, in your teens, on your band, right now, if you're a teenager in this room or you're listening, whatever, God can use you right now. Amen? And these older generation are here to love you and encourage you 20-somethings go make a difference for god if you're 20-something go make a difference for god if you're a teenager go make a difference for god elementary go make a difference for god right now right now because you have your own friends that need to see a elementary junior high high school college student you have your own peer group that need to they need to see what a citizen of heaven at that age looks like amen so just go do that. Just go do that. And parents, encourage them. Encourage them. Sometimes it's parents who are like, oh, just go to youth group. And then after that, seek the Lord for how he wants you as an adult. No, no, no. Go to Mexico right now. And go build a house. God will use you right now. Okay? Just a word of encouragement. Daniel and his friends were teenagers. Awesome. I love that. Second Timothy 1. 13 says what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus in the new king james it says hold fast instead of keep it's hold fast right keep as one's possession it's a habitual it's a continual action hold fast so here's the thing if we're going to be like daniel if we're going to make these if we're going to resolve not to defile ourselves with the things of this world. Number one step, guys, we got to hold fast. You have to make the decision to hold fast. Everyone say hold fast. Hold fast. It's continual. It's habitual. It's to take something into your possession, right? Titus 1.9. Go to one book to your right. Titus 1.9. He's speaking to church leadership, right? He's speaking about an elder in the church. Titus 1.9 says this. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. In the New King James, it's holding fast. Holding fast. And again, just you know this here, but I'm going to say it as many times as we need to say it, especially in light of this verse. The church leadership here at Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, we are committed, number one thing, to hold fast God's word. That is, that is, that is not up for discussion at this church. You can teach leadership, you can understand church dynamics, but one of the things for church leadership at this church is that we are committed to holding firmly, holding fast God's word. Not up for discussion at this church. Not if you're going to be in leadership. Okay? Turn to Second Thessalonians. Go to your right couple books. Second Thessalonians 2. Look what it says here. Now he's speaking to a church. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and what? Hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. That word hold, right? Keep carefully, continually, faithfully. Right? I love this. In the New Living Translation, it says this. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching. Keep a strong grip on the teaching. Hold fast to the teaching. Hold firmly. Don't let it go. Iron grip on what? The Word of God. The Word of God. See, a lot of us are like, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what we do. And we, we kind of emphasize the doingness of Christianity. Here's the thing, guys. It begins in the heart. And you have to make a choice, a decision that you're going to hold fast. You're going to keep a strong grip on what? The Word of God, first and foremost. If you haven't resolved to keep a, a strong grip on the Word of God, 
what do you think is going to happen to your obedience when the going gets tough? Right? But this idea of holding fast, this idea of grip, we neglect it. Maybe it's never been taught. Maybe we've never been challenged at the grip level, at the holding level. It's like, it's like I don't know how many of you play golf, right? If you play golf, a lot of times if you watch it on TV, boom! You know, and a lot of times I'll take guys to the range, right? Whether it's my son or friends, right? And you take them to the range, and what's the first thing they want to do? They grab it, and they just want to what? Swing as hard as they can. And usually they miss the first couple times. Or they top it. They call it sculling it. And it goes, ding, 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 ding. Or it goes, swing. It goes, swing. And they're like, what is wrong? And they'll, they'll get more mad and more mad and more. I'll show you. And they get, and they just swing harder and harder and harder. And finally, when they're all ex- exhausted, many of them will say, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And I say, do you really want to know how to swing a golf club correctly? Yeah, I'm frustrated. What do I do? Do I need new clubs? Great example. I have a lot of friends. A bad round of golf equates to I need new clubs. Right? You ever use that on your significant other? Right? A new driver, honey. It's going to new driver. Right? When someone comes to the end of himself and is so frustrated swinging a golf club and is really ready to learn, I'll say, you really want to know? It begins with your grip. Yeah, how you're holding the club. It's all wacky. It's not a baseball bat. You mean my grip? No, there is a there is a very specific way a golfer grips his club, with pressure points and how it lays across your palm and the angles. And if your grip is wrong, everything else is going to be messed up down line. But that's boring. I don't want to work on my grip. That's boring. What are, you said you wanted to learn how to hit the ball right. It starts with your grip. How you're holding the club. That's the fundamental. Right? I had no idea. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't. They just see guys on TV hit it 300, 400 yards, and they're like, I could do that. It's just my shoes, right? I need shoes. It's how I dress. I need the name brand. It's the golf ball. No, it starts with your grip. If your grip is messed up, it's just boring. And that's what he's saying in these verses. It starts with your grip. Hold the word of God with your grip. It's your grip. You've got to start with how you decide. How, you, how have you resolved? How have I resolved to hold God's word? Is it just kind of loose and uh, whatever, right, whatever? Uh, or do you understand how to hold God's word? In fact, one of those words in hold, it means to master that which you're holding. Woo! Not just to hold it, but to master what you're holding. That's what he's talking about when he says hold it firmly. Keep a strong grip. Don't just hold on to it for dear life. Master it. Learn it. Because out of that grip, you let it rip. That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. And I love even in, in, in creation. How many of you have ever been diving or watched TV and you, you, you love to see the giant kelp? Anyone? Giant kelp, right? Eileen, you can put that up. Right? Giant kelp. Anyone ever been diving? You see the giant kelp flowing, right? Scuba divers, whatever. Sparklers. Giant kelp. Strong current. Right? Sometimes, depending on the speed of the current, it's lame. Right? But it's not moving anywhere. Right? Next one, I. Right? It's flowing, flowing, flowing. How many of you ever wondered, how come it doesn't move? I mean, the ocean current is violent. It's strong. Sometimes you see these things crashing in the waves, and they're like, how does it stay put? Here's the crazy thing. This giant kelp, you followed it all the way down, right? Go ahead, Eileen. That's what it looks like. Do you know what this part of a giant kelp is literally called? The hold fast. 
This is called hold fast. Next one, I. Yep. I kid you not. God says, hey, hold firmly. Hold fast to the teaching. And he says, if you don't get it, there you go. The kelp do not move because they hold fast to the ocean bottom. And he says, do that. Hold fast to the rock. Hold fast doctrine. Hold fast to teaching. But don't just hold it for holding its sake. Master it. It's called hold fast. I'm like, what? I love that. You know why? Because we live in a world right now with a whole lot of current. And the current is saying, we're all going that way. And a lot of us are like, woo, woo. Right? How many of you feel that way at work? Everybody's doing it. How many of you as as adults understand peer pressure is not just for teenagers? As adults, all the buddies want to go do what buddies do. Huh? So you have this wide road and the world's going this way and citizens of heaven are like this. Are you holding back? Are you anchored? Are you anchored to what? We love this church. We want to be a part, just a part of you holding fast. Don't hold fast to me. I will let you down. This will not. This will not. We do our best around here to be godly and faithful and be true to this, but we're human. We're fallible. So if you're swaying, the question this morning is what are you holding fast to? What's your hold fast? I hope it's that rock. I hope, I literally hope it's this. That's what I hope. Because that's the only thing that's going to keep you rooted. That's the only thing that's going to keep you rooted and grounded in this crazy world we live in. In this absolutely crazy world we live in. And then, and then we'll close with this. Turn to Hebrews 10. We'll close with this before communion. Look what he says in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10.23. Same thing. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then check this out, though. Then he gets really corporate and churchy. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on in love and toward, toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what I love? He says, hey, hold fast to what you believe in, but you got to do it together. See, right now, you might be sitting next to someone and you have no clue that the current in their life, they're like this. And God has placed you in their life to help anchor them, to encourage them, to come alongside them, to support them, to pray for them, to give them godly wisdom. You are part of all those tentacles around the rock. You. You're part of someone's hold fast. We have to make an individual decision. Very important. We make an individual decision to hold fast, but we don't live in isolation. And I love another example from, from nature. Go ahead, I. You've seen these. The giant sequoias. We love the giant sequoias. 300 feet. Upwards of 2 million pounds. Right? But the crazy thing about the sequoias is they don't grow in isolation. They grow in what are called groves. One of these trees, they've researched it. Its root system is only about 12 feet deep for a 300-foot tree. But its roots, one tree can spread over an acre. Here's how sequoias don't topple. This guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this girl and girl and girl. Their roots are all intertwined. They're holding each other up. That's why they weather the storms. They don't have what's called a taproot that's going way deep. They don't have that. They're going this way together. That, Eileen, is there another one? Or is that it? This is the church. 
Because, see, there's a lot of you here that want to be a sequoia for Jesus. You do. You wouldn't be here. You want to grow. You want to be a mighty oak, right, and all that kind of stuff. question is, are you spreading your roots this way amongst the body? That's how they do it. Their roots, there's four acres here. I can't imagine one tree having an acre width of roots. That's amazing to me. That's how he designed them to grow. That's how he designed us to grow. This way, holding up each other together. We need each other. That's the bottom line. We need each other. It's the way he designed the church. So we have to make a choice to hold fast. To hold fast. Grip. But then you remember, it's not in isolation. You do it together. That's why we have women's barbecues. That's why the men are meeting. That's why they're at Tony's house on Monday. That's why the women are here on, on Monday night. That's why we go on bike rides together. When we say it's relational and all these things we do around here to facilitate relationships, I hope now you'll think oaks or sequoia. I hope now a word picture of a giant kelp embedded around a solid rock. That's why we do this together. That's, that's what we're called to do. That's how God created us. Okay? That's 4.14. It says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Vinny and Shai, you can come up. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Lord, thank you for the example of Daniel who lived in a very hostile culture. And Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And I know many here would want the same, would agree with that, would want to be a Daniel. But maybe today we realize we've never resolved to hold fast. We've been tossed around. We're, we're, we get swept up in the current. We're not anchored. My prayer for us this morning is that we would choose, choose individually, to hold fast, to grip the Word of God tenaciously every day. And then, Lord, to understand we do it together. We need one another. And ultimately, we hold fast to you, Jesus. We hold fast.